Dr. Wendy Dickinson here from Grow Counseling. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about a question that's come up a lot with our clients, and I've honestly had a lot of conversations with my friends about why am I so scared to re-engage in public? Why am I so scared to go back out? What makes breaking quarantine so hard? So in most parts of the country, the restrictions have been lifted to some degree, and there's some element of freedom and choice that we get to make now. And what we're finding is that people are experiencing high levels of anxiety and of fear in making these decisions. And so we've been having a lot of conversations about how people make these decisions and what makes it so complex. Why is this so hard? So that's what we're gonna tackle. There's a lot of information on this, more more in-depth information than we're gonna cover today. You can check that out at growcounseling.com. Today, we're just going to do kind of a high-level conversation about what, what are the dynamics, what goes into this. There are several different elements. One is kind of past experience and personality style. The second one is decision-making. And the third piece is risk assessment. So these, these all work together like puzzle pieces in terms of how we approach these decisions and how difficult we experience it. You know, when you think about things that we used to do on autopilot, like go to the grocery store or go out to dinner, all of a sudden they feel super scary to some people. It doesn't feel like something we can just kind of pop in and do casually. It feels like a really big decision to make about whether it's safe or not and what's the risk and whether you should do it. Part of the reason that comes up is because we are hardwired for survival. There's this part of our brain that's the most primitive primal part of our brain that I, with my clients, I call the lizard brain that is hardwired for survival and it constantly assesses danger. And what happens is that even before we realize there's a danger, it's already dialed into something. It's kind of like when you drop a knife or a pair of scissors, you're jumping out of the way before you even realize you're doing it. Or if you touch something hot, you probably have pulled your hand off before you've cognitively even realized that it's hot. That's the part of the brain that is there to keep us safe. What happens when we experience danger is that this part of our brain can go into overdrive and it can get stuck on. If you think about a light switch on and off, it can get stuck on. And when that part of our brain is on, other parts of our brain are off. So we make less good decisions when that part of our brain is on unless they're directly related to survival. The part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex that handles executive functioning and complex decision-making is usually off when the primal part of our brain is on. So you can see this creates a tension because we want to stay safe. That part's really active, but we have to use the prefrontal cortex to make some of these other decisions about what's the best thing for you, for your family, and for your community right now. One of the things to know is that when that part of our brain is on for a really long time, we can get stuck in a process that we call hyperarousal. It's a fancy way of saying that we're really alert all the time, especially people who've been through trauma or have previous experiences of trauma or things that are stressful may end up in that state more quickly. So it's important to recognize that if you do have a history of trauma, um, a history of feeling unsafe or times when it felt like things were really scary, your bucket for dealing with more trauma might be really full. So you may not have the same capacity that someone else does. A lot of this kind of boils down to what do we tell ourselves about those experiences and what do we tell ourselves about who we are in those experiences? 
you'll find that there's a range of differences in how people respond. And largely what they tell themselves about those experiences plays a big role in how we respond. So people who have faced trauma and overcome trauma may tell themselves that they are able to handle hard things or that they have the tools in their toolbox to survive. People who have not been through trauma may say, oh, I don't know if I can handle that. This feels too big or too scary to me. They may back down from it. On the other hand, people who've been through trauma may say, I'm full. I can't take any more of this. So it really depends on what our past experience has been, how much we have in our buckets, what kind of tools we have in our toolbox, and then how we interpret or add meaning to these kinds of decisions that we have to make. It's helpful to stop and ask yourself, what am I telling myself? What do I believe to be true about my capacity for handling hard things and making difficult decisions? Another element here is the way that we process or handle stress. Everybody responds to that differently. If you think about a continuum, at one end, you have people who move towards stress. Other end, you have people who move away from it. So if you are somebody that moves towards stress, you probably try to manage it. You try to figure out a way to process it, to deal with it. You make a plan. I'm trying to avoid saying the control word, but you really want to engage it to figure out how to get through it. If you're somebody who moves away from stress, you may try to distance or numb out or disconnect. To people standing around observing, it may look like you don't care or that you're indifferent, but the reality is these are different ways of managing stress in our lives. You can probably think about your friends or your family in the last few weeks and identify the people who are those that move towards and the people who are those that move away. This impacts our decision-making, whether we move towards something and engage with it or whether we want to disconnect and maybe even feel like this isn't such a big deal and try to minimize the stress. As you can imagine, neither one of these approaches are right or wrong, but they have dramatically different impact and can have a really different impact in our emotional state. It can cause your anxiety to go up or it can cause your anxiety to go down. So paying attention to how you engage with stress and how it affects you emotionally is really important as we think about you as a whole person who's making decisions about hard things. The last part of our personality that I want to talk about in terms of decision-making before we move on to risk and then the process of decision-making is really how are we wired? Again, if you think about a continuum, we generally have people who are wired to be more data-driven in making decisions, and on the other end, we have people who are more intuitively driven. They tend to take all of the data into a whole and look at a big picture, whereas people who are data-driven tend to really want specific facts and details, and they want all those pieces to line up before they make a decision. Those are usually the people that have some kind of a spreadsheet going or a list or (laughs) some real specific process to analyze data. The intuitive people tend to think more about what their gut is telling them and kind of what feels right in a situation based on their instincts. Again, you can probably imagine that neither of these are right or wrong, but they definitely have pros and cons. Part of what is challenging right now is that getting really hard data that's specific and clear and factual is very difficult right now. And so if you're somebody who makes a decision based driven on data, it's going to be hard for you to find that kind of data. In the same way that someone who is instinctively making decisions 
may make a decision based on data that they've heard somewhere, that they've internalized, but may not be able to point specifically to what that data is and be able to assess what the risk is. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. So when we don't have what we need to make a decision, we can feel stuck or like we're frozen in place. So these pieces of our brain, our personality, the way that we handle stress all go into the interpersonal piece, intrapersonal piece of part of this picture that we're talking about today. The next category that's important to talk about is the risk factor, because this is not a simple decision making between do I eat an apple or do I eat an orange? What heightens these decisions is that it feels like I either stay in and I'm safe or I go out and it's dangerous to the point that I risk maybe dying or contracting something that I give to somebody else who I care about who might die. So that's a pretty big risk factor. And it's really important for us to talk about how we assess risk. We assess risk hundreds, if not thousands of times a day. How hot's the water? How sharp is the knife? And again, we're hardwired for survival. So our brain's constantly engaged in figuring out how to keep us safe. The problem with the situation that we're facing now with COVID-19 is that it's difficult, if not impossible, to assess the risk. There are voices providing information that falls all along the spectrum. This is really scary, all the way to the other end of this is no big deal. It's nearly impossible for the average person to wade through all of this information and access any understandable, fact-based, accurate, clear information. Even when we face the scariest of situations, but we can trust that we have accurately assessed the risk, we're more confident to make a decision and we're better at handling the situation. We do get to a point eventually where we've mastered the art of assessing the risk. We've mastered figuring out how hard it is or how dangerous is it or what do we need to do. Part of this is because of exposure. I don't know if you remember when you first learned to drive, but I was terrified. I remember I was so scared. I was positive that my car wasn't going to fit between the lanes on the interstate. And I didn't understand how everybody else was just driving around kind of blithely in these death vehicles. And I was so afraid. But of course, over time, as I learned how to do it, as I engaged with it, as I had more exposure, I realized that my car was going to fit just fine in the lanes. And not only that, I didn't really have to be quite as dialed in as I was. So as we drive more, we start doing things like talking on the phone or putting on our makeup or changing the radio station. Those are things that we can do because the risk factor feels a bit lower. The more we do something, the more we gradually learn about it. So the more that we go out in public, the more that we start engaging, the more we're going to learn about whether it's safe or not. The challenge is right now, we don't have a lot of personal data at this point to be able to really know where the boundaries are and what's safe. It's hard to develop mastery over something when the risk seems too great to run experiments. So again, we're kind of back to that conundrum that going out might feel really dangerous. Wearing a mask might feel like it helps, but we don't have a ton of information to know whether that's true or not right now. talk about freedom, especially in terms of decision-making. Freedom comes with responsibility. Now, we've been through a season recently where we've been told what to do, primarily stay at home and or wear masks. 
it can bring up a lot of negative emotions. I've talked to people that felt confined. They felt like their rights had been taken away. But the reality is that it allowed us to avoid making decisions. At the end of the day, we were asked to follow a decision that somebody else had made for us. And while it brings up negative emotions, we didn't have to make that decision. Now that we're experiencing more freedom, we have to bear the weight of the decision-making. And with freedom comes responsibility. Making decisions comes with responsibility. And for many of us, making decisions comes with anxiety. That freedom leads to anxiety. What's the right decision? What's the best decision? How do I know what I should do? To make things even more complex, these decisions aren't just about what's right for me or my family. A lot of times they're about what's right for the community. There's a broader piece here that really comes down to a moral dilemma. If I were to go out and be okay, but bring something home to my family, how would I feel about that? Making moral decisions is especially difficult and feels really heavy, but understanding your values and priorities helps because it helps you understand why you're making the decisions that you are. One of the things to know is that as we make decisions, sometimes our circumstances change and our values and our priorities can also change with our circumstances. So for example, you might have a financial need that changes your priorities. You may have to adjust what you would have done otherwise, or you may have a childcare issue and you may have to change your decision-making based on that issue. What comes up for a lot of people is when we have values or priorities that are in conflict internally for us. So we value the safety of those around us, but we also value making enough money to feed our families. And sometimes those are in conflict. It's really helpful to stop and identify what values and priorities we have so that moving forward, we can recognize if those are in conflict with each other. One of my clients asked the other day, like, do we just get tired of making decisions? And actually we do. Decision fatigue is a real thing. They did a study in 2010 with the Israeli Parole Board, and they found that 70% of prisoners that appeared early in the day were granted parole, whereas towards the end of the day, only around 10% were granted parole. And, and what they derived from that is this idea that the more choices you make throughout the day, the harder it becomes for your brain, and you experience fatigue, and eventually you start looking for shortcuts, or you get in a rut, or you make the same decisions. You kind of get on autopilot. They also found that the more fatigued you become, the more impulsively you make decisions instead of carefully thinking through the consequences or the pros and cons or what your value system is. So in short, the more decisions we have to make, especially ones that weren't on our radar before, do I go to the grocery store or not? Do I get groceries delivered? Do I wear a mask? Do I wear gloves? The more fatigued we become, the less mental energy we have and the less willpower we have to make decisions. So everything starts to feel harder and heavier throughout the day or days or weeks as all of these things build up. In talking about decision-making, it's important to recognize that we all have bias. To be human is to have a bias. And biases can actually be a helpful thing. They're kind of like shortcuts that help streamline our decision-making. The problem comes when we're not aware of what our biases are, and the biases start to guide our decision in a way that we don't even recognize what's happening. There are a number of different kind of biases, but the one that I think is most relevant to this conversation is called ambiguity bias. Ambiguity bias says that we choose the familiar over the unknown or the risky, and that might make sense intuitively to you. 
But even if the potential upside is really great, there's a really potentially good outcome, our tendency is to choose the thing that will mitigate the risk or make it seem less scary or more comfortable. And so given two options, we tend to gravitate towards the one that we know. Additional research shows that when all the options are dissatisfying, we tend to reject one versus choosing another one. And it might seem like the different side of the same coin, but there's a pretty big implication here. It has to do with a rejection mindset. It's the way that we approach things. And so instead of looking for a good option or what would be positive, we look for ways to avoid the risk or the downside. And it's easy to get in a rut where we're constantly looking for what's the downside, how do I avoid it, versus looking at what the potential outcome would be in a positive direction. So here's the application. If we can shift our mindset to something we're choosing or selecting, something that's positive rather than something we're rejecting, and we can be aware that we need to push ourselves a little bit outside of our comfort zone. So again, that ambiguity bias, not just choosing what's comfortable will likely make more intentional, more dialed in, better decisions. So shifting towards something we're choosing or selecting versus something that we're trying to avoid and stepping a little bit outside our comfort zone, aware that our tendency is to gravitate towards things that are comfortable and known. That's going to help us make better decisions. Again, the fear and the anxiety is something that we're going to experience as we're outside of our comfort zone, as we're making these decisions about how to engage. That's okay normalize that. Let's name that. Let's talk about it. I think that helping to name some of these things, the perceived risk, the ways we make decision or engage with stress, and some of the path forward help us to understand what's going on and take some of the fear of the unknown away. But I also think it's really important that we're gentle with ourselves and we take it one step at a time. Remember, life isn't one size fits all and what might feel right to you may not feel right to the person around you. And people are going to approach this from all different directions. You might need to make decisions that feel cautious to somebody else, or you might need to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and try something that feels pretty scary to you. If you challenge yourself, it's okay to fall down. In the midst of it all, don't forget to focus on the positive. Give yourself permission to take a risk and fail. Change your perspective. So to wrap up, I just want to say that the fear and the anxiety we're all feeling is normal. Let's talk about it. Let's put a name to it so that we understand why taking risk is scary, why making decisions is hard, and why we're feeling tired or overwhelmed. It's okay for this to be a hard process. Over time, I believe it'll get easier as we master some of these risks and we have better information. But right now, remember that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. What's important for you based on your story and your history and your wiring may be different than what's important for somebody around you. So we need to be gentle with ourselves. We need to be gentle with each other. It's okay to take a risk and fall. It's better to take a risk and be brave than it is to stay inside our comfort zone all the time. So as we wrap up, I would just say, stay connected to the people around you. Be gentle with yourself. And know that we're here if there's something that we can do to help. We've got resources on our website, growcounseling.com. Check those out and let us know what would be helpful to you as we're moving through this process of making decisions and figuring out how to re-engage in a, what feels like a really new normal. Take care. Take care.